We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today, so grab a Bible, open it up. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're walking through this uh, journal of Solomon as he's looked out at life and he just gives some realistic observations of life. And uh, far too often we see ourselves in that same place. We see life for what it is, and we know that life under the sun can be weary and toilsome, but there is also life above the sun, and so he wants us to have both of those perspectives. What if you spend your entire life climbing the ladder of success and you get to the top, only to find out that it was leaning against the wrong wall? Everything we worked for, and we find out in the end, it doesn't deliver what we thought it was going to deliver. Solomon's going to lead us on that journey today in his journal in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. But he starts out at the beginning of the chapter, and he kind of starts uh, that theme again of oppression that he saw. At the end of chapter 3, he said, I saw some oppressive things, and the place where there should be justice, in the courts, there is no justice. And he said it just was shocking, but it's also a reality. And at the beginning of chapter 4, he also has this kind of perspective again about the oppression and the toil. The, the, the oppressors had the uh, power on their side, and, and there was nobody to comfort those who were oppressed. And he says it would be better not to have even been born. And so what he's saying is, it's this hyperbole that sometimes we say, I wish I had never been born. Not that he means it literally, it's an exaggeration for a rhetorical effect. In other words, I see what life is happening around me. There's so much corruption that there's just this intense sorrow, but we experience that as we live life on planet Earth. And he says, maybe just it would be better not to have been here, but we're here. And so we need to deal with it and get a perspective on it. James Russell Lowell said, Truth forever on the scaffold, but wrong forever on the throne. And that's how life kind of is. It seems like those things that are wrong and people that do wrong, and just wrong seems to have its way over and over again. We grow up and we're little and we have this naivety about life. And then it doesn't take us too long to find out, you know, people don't really take their turn. You pull up to a four-way stop sign, and it's like people never saw one before, and they don't know who goes first, and people just don't take their turn. Or you're in line to buy tickets, or you're in line in a concession stand, and, and people cut in line, and we naively think that everybody should take turns, but we soon discover that they cheated. And we soon discover that, you know what, we're part of those cheaters as well. And so Solomon sees this oppression under the sun. And so what he does now in the rest of chapter 4 is he takes up the theme that takes up most of our time under the sun, which is our work and in our toil. And in his wisdom, he's going to give us three things that are better. And we always want to see what's better in life. And so that's what he's going to do for us. Specifically, not just work, but he looks at this idea of success and wealth and fame. The Bible in the Hebrew, in the Bible, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, there's a word for happiness. And we all are pursuing happiness, but we have it defined wrong. Biblically, here's what happiness is. Happiness means right action in accordance with God's will. Our world has defined happiness as whatever makes me feel happy, makes me feel good, makes me feel peaceful, makes me feel however I want to feel. But happiness in Scripture is that which is in accordance with God's will. You and I are created in God's image. And there's an end or there's a purpose for that creation in His image. That creation is in His image means that we reflect His character. We reflect who He is in our lives. And when we fail to do that, we don't accurately reflect God in our lives. That's where we find 
the sin and we find the sadness and we find the pressure. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1, Solomon was looking around. He said, well, you know what? Maybe I'm going to try some different things to find my happiness. And he said, I said to myself, I'll test you with pleasure. And that's that word for happiness. He enjoy what is good. He said, but it turned out to be futile. And so the pursuit of happiness for happiness' sake will leave us empty. But happiness is doing what is right in accordance with God's will. The Bible doesn't care about what we want. God commands us to live in happiness. It's the working for him and serving him. And so God gives us a purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to do his will, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Happiness means we are conforming to that will. Do you know what it also means? It means we have troubles. It means we have pain. It means we have heartache. It means we have grief. It means we have sorrow. It means we have all those things that life under the sun brings, but we can still be happy in that, knowing we are doing God's will. And so Solomon has this pursuit, really, when you think about it, of happiness. That's what he's looking for. And so he tried pleasure. He tried wisdom. He tried all kinds of things, and it left him empty because that's not the goal of our life, is to fill our lives with those things. Our goal of our life is to fill our lives with God. We were talking earlier this morning... Uh, downstairs, and we talked about uh, people don't want to worship God, but you know what? Everybody worships God. It's either the big G God or a little G God. God has created us with a vacuum, so we all have a God in our lives. So we're either serving Him who's created us, or we're serving something else. And I think that's Solomon's struggle. Solomon's struggle is, I'm looking in life for all the little G gods for all those things to bring happiness all those things to bring success that's what i'm looking for and last week we looked at this idea that there is a time and a season for everything and part of the struggle we have is we don't really get do-overs we get one trip through this life and that's it and solomon knew that he was bound by time his time was limited and we are frustrated as well how many times have you said i don't have time for everything I wish there was another day in the week. I wish they would find another hour in the day. And we know that we struggle being part of time and creatures in time. And so part of Solomon's melancholy is, I've only got so much time. What am I filling that time with? And so now in chapter 4, he says, here's what a lot of us are doing with our time. In verse 4, he said, I saw all the toil and all skill in work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon says envy is one of those motivators for us to do the things that we do. It causes us to work harder than our neighbor so that we can impress our neighbor by having bigger things and better things. And we don't find joy in what we're doing because we're motivated by envy so that we have the biggest and the best and people look up to us and people are like, wow, you are a success. And what does Solomon say at the end of verse 4? It's vanity. It's a striving after the wind. All work done because of this competitive urge, he says, is meaningless. Trying to beat others in the race brings no satisfaction. In fact, you probably have heard that saying, is you can win the rat race, but you're still a rat at the end. That's what Solomon's saying. You know, cigarette warnings on the cigarette pack say, the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking is dangerous to your health. 
There should be a similar warning at the bottom of every diploma, at the bottom of every degree, the bottom of every promotion that we get. Warning, the God of the universe has determined that success can be lethal. And that's what Solomon says. So then he gives us two proverbs about work. Look what he says in verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. The fool goes like this. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. And he ends up devouring himself. And this kind of graphic imagery is, well, I got to eat, but I'm not going to do anything for it. I'm just going to fold my arms, fold my hands. And he ends up what? He ends up devouring himself. But in verse 6, Solomon gives us one of the first betters in this passage. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls full of toil and a striving after the wind. The first thing that Solomon tells us in this pursuit of wealth and success and fame is what? It is better to be content. What does he say? One handful of rest is better than two handfuls that are cupped together, always trying to get more. Contentment is better than envy and is better than laziness. He just says in verse 4 and 5 about the proverb, uh, God has given us a task and so we are to be busy. But what Solomon says is that out of envy and laziness, it's better to find that middle ground of contentment. A strong work ethic is not wrong, but it needs to be balanced with the joys of life. And some people just hate life because it's work, work, work. Work, 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 work. And God has created us for more than that. Yes, we are created to do that, but that cannot be the end all and the be all. And so Solomon says, here's an idea, be content. Is it the reason we're envious? Is because we're not content? We see somebody else has the thing and now I want the thing. Well, how am I going to get the thing? I got to work and work and work. The option, the other option is to steal. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. And so does God. So that's not for a believer an option, but we can be so proud of our work ethic that sometimes that is a celebrated sin in the kingdom. Just work, 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 work. What did God do on the seventh day? He created for six days, and what did he do on the seventh day? He what? Rested. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us. And so Solomon says it's better. Look at the verses I have on your notes. Proverbs 15, 16. Better, he says, is a little... With the fear of the Lord, then great treasure and trouble with it. In Proverbs 16, 8, he says, Better is what? A little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, But godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Hebrews 13, 5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what that promise is in Hebrews chapter 13? You can be content because God is with you. That's why he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be content. It's better to have a little than to be envious and striving for more and more and more and more because it's, a, it's, it's futile. It's a chasing after the wind. It will never satisfy. What happens when we get more? We want more. How many times have we said, well, when I just get blank, when I just get the raise, when I just get the new house, when I just get the new car, And we get the raise, we get the house, we get the car. And guess what? We say, wow, what's the next thing I can move on on toward? You see, it keeps us in this endless pit that will never be filled. And here's the problem. Solomon goes on and he says in verse 7, Again, I saw vanity under the sun. 
One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom my toiling and depriving myself of pleasure, this also is vanity and an unhappy business. You see, what happens, he says, is we can have envy and we are working, but what happens is we, if we withdraw from life altogether, we destroy our lives. Solomon's talking about this person who works ceaselessly to acquire, but has no one to share it with. The person at the top is often very lonely because they're always working, always at the office, never building family and relationships. How many horror stories have you heard of, of a person who worked all the time? They were a success at business, but they lost their family. They invested nothing. Always at the office, never around. Their kids are gone. Their wife is, uh, doesn't know they're not there. The husband doesn't know they're there. And, and Solomon says, this is what happens when we're not content, is we have nobody to share it with. In fact, the guy is so obsessed with, with obtaining success and wealth, and faith, he toils and never asks a question, who am I doing this for? And the question is, well, buddy, no one, because you don't really have anybody to share it with. Your mistress is your job, and your family is your work, and they don't care when you're gone because they're vying for your position as well because envy drives us. And so Solomon says, I never stop to ask, why am I doing this? You know, we go through life, and oftentimes we never stop and ask the why questions. We just go and go like the hamster on the wheel, and we never stop to say, why am I doing this? And Solomon says, time moves on. Things happen. We don't know why we're doing it until we stop and ask. You see, the guy in verses 7 to 8, his motivation is not envy, but it's greed. He wants more and more and more and more. And what happened is he dehumanized himself because now he's all alone. Part of our createdness, part of who we are as, as God's creatures is we are built for relationship. We are built for community. So Solomon says in verse 8, this is vanity, and it's an unhappy business. If I'm just going all the time, and I'm all alone, what difference does it make? In fact, Solomon said a few chapters ago that I am going to leave my money to somebody who's probably going to blow it anyway. So what have I accomplished in the end? And so we see today... Uh, uh, couples who put off having children, if ever, because they want to get ahead and, and make it to the top and oh, have all the money. Or people that forego marriage. I'm not getting married until what? I build my career and I'm financially independent. And so now we have uh, couples in their 40s and 50s trying to have children or not having children so they can retire early. What happens is money is the motivator, is the driver. And at the end of their life, what happens? We're all alone. Man, I was the boss. I was the supervisor. I was the guy in charge. But I don't have anybody to share it with. Nobody's around. So here's what Solomon says. The second better thing is it's better to have companions. Look what he says in verse 9. He's moving from this idea that we're pursuing all these things, forsaking what God, how God has created us. Two are better than one because they have a re- good reward for their what? Their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and doesn't have another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? 
And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord of not, uh, is not quickly broken. Ralph Keyes, in his book, We the Lonely People, says, Above all else, we Americans value mobility, convenience, and privacy. And of these, he says, privacy is our most cherished value. We just want to be left alone, do what we want. In fact, we value technology over relationships. Uh, a couple weeks ago, it was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. So after the, the, the thing landed on the moon, a couple days later, the uh, president comes on TV and says what? He says that the national dream has come true. He said it was the greatest event in all of world history. Really? You put a hunk of metal on the moon, and we haven't been back since, and that's the greatest thing that's ever happened in history? Technology was the greatest thing that ever happened in history, in world history. We value technology over relationships. And so what Solomon does is he condemns a competitive spirit in verse 4, but here he calls for a a cooperative spirit. He says there's greater capacity when we're working with people than when we're working by ourselves. And so look what he says in verse 10, 11, and 12. As a traveler in the ancient times, there was three dangers that they would have. They'd be traveling, and they could literally fall into a pit. At night, even though it's warm in the day, if you've ever been in a desert climate, it gets very cold at night. And so these ancient travelers could literally fall, they would be freezing at night, and they were endangered by bandits. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? A man was going, what, to Jericho, and he was, a, he was attacked and left for dead along the side of the road. And so Solomon says, we need companions. And one of the things I said is, is companions instead of, instead of friends is a companion is somebody who travels with you. Somebody who walks with you through life. And companions are your friends, but not all friends are companions. We have those fair-weather friends who are not companions. Something happens, and they're gone. But Solomon says it's better to have what? It's better to have people in your life. There's three things that a companion will provide. The first one is this, is encouragement when we are weak. What happened to the guy in verse 10? He fell into a, he fell into a pit. It's better for us to have someone in our lives who can catch us when we fall. Who catches you when you fall? You say, well, no one. It's no wonder you're lonely. No one's there to catch you when you fall. Now listen, I have heard Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 9 to 12, spoken at weddings many times. I'm sure you have too. Solomon is not talking about marriage. Marriage is not mentioned in this. At all. In fact, getting married does not solve the problem of loneliness. Many people who are married are very, very lonely. He's talking about something greater, something deeper. Speaking of marriage, David and Beverly Williams celebrated 50 years yesterday of marriage. Two are better than one, mostly. Sometimes you probably thought through the years, you know, one is probably better than two, but the commitment keeps us going. And so Solomon says this, we need encouragement when we are weak, right? You fall into the pits, literally. Life is the pits, is what Ecclesiastes tells us, but we need somebody to help lift us out. 
The other danger is this, support when we're vulnerable. The traveler is out, the night is cold, and uh, sleeping all alone. What happens? Hypothermia, uh, danger. And so he says, we need somebody to warm us up when it's cold. Now, what he's saying is that the travelers, when they travel and they can be together, find this mutual warmth from one another when they're vulnerable. There's nothing more vulnerable in an ancient traveler than to have to spend the night somewhere. Man, you read the stories in the Old Testament. What happened to travelers in Sodom? What happened to travelers all over the place? It was dangerous. And so we need somebody to warm us up when it's cold. Have you ever asked yourself, how am I going to make it through? What am I going to do now? I want you to be reminded of verse 11, that it is better to have somebody to keep you warm. Life is very cold, is what Solomon's saying. Ecclesiastes reminds us that life is harsh and it is cold. We need somebody to keep us warm. He's not talking about sex. He's just talking about somebody who's there, who understands you when you're vulnerable in those cold moments of your life, to be there to help you get through that. That's much better than the guy he just described who's all alone, the guy who's at the office all the time. He needs somebody to do that. We also need somebody to provide his protection when we're attacked. The third danger of an ancient traveler was somebody being attacked by bandits. He says, who is going to be there if somebody comes and prevails against you? We face adversaries. In fact, we all face an enemy. His name is Satan. He is relentless, he is determined, and he is clever. We need somebody to help us when we are attacked. Maybe in your life it's another person. And they're spreading rumors and they're spreading lies about you. We all need somebody to help us when we're attacked. And Solomon says, if I am pursuing wealth and success and fame to the expense of building companionship in my life, I have nobody to help me when I'm weak. I have nobody to help me when I'm vulnerable. I have nobody to help me when I'm attacked. And aren't those the important moments of life when we need somebody? It absolutely is. Listen, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It doesn't refer to Jesus either. We're going to get to that in a minute. But what Solomon is saying is, if you have one friend, two is better. Three is not easily broken. We need to build those companions in our lives. Why? Because a companion is someone who can assist you when, you're, when you fall. Uh, fall as in a lapse of judgment or as when you fall into a ditch. Those places in your life, we just need that. And isn't that what makes life valuable? We have those people that can say, I'm here for you. How do we get that? Well, it takes time. It takes investment. I can't always be at the office and develop that as well. And so I have, he says this cord of three strands is not easily broken. He says that there are some advantages to having these unions. Yes, marriage is absolutely one of those. He's not specifically referencing that, but that's absolutely one of those. It's a friendship. It's, it's a religious community that can support you and to be, be around you. And what he's saying is it's better to have companions. The Lone Ranger wasn't even alone. He had who? Tell me. Tano. Like that whole show was mislabeled. It wasn't even the lone, it was the duo. It wasn't the lone ranger. And we go through life and we need people. There's a, 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 the solitary life that Solomon just described is a life devoid of meaning. It's what? A chasing after the wind. Jonathan Haidt writes this. 
If you want to predict how happy someone is or how long they will live, and if you're not allowed to ask about their genes or their personality, you should find out about their social networks. Having strong social relationships strengthens the immune system, extends life more than does quitting smoking. It speeds recovery from surgery and reduces the risk of depression and anxiety disorders. That's how God has created us. In fact, a massive Harvard study found that the single best predictor of lifelong happiness was the presence of close friendships. Satisfaction with relationships at age 50 was actually more predictive of long-term health than cholesterol level. Your friends are more important than your Lipitor in determining health and happiness. Why? That's our createdness, right? That's how God has created us. Look on your notes, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. The very first time that God said, it's not good, he saw the little bunnies and he saw the fish and he saw this. He says, good, 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 good. Very good, right? And then he's like, oh no, he's alone. That's not so good. Because we are created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who are in perfect relationship with one another. And as we are created in that image, a triune God, a God of relationship, it's built into who we are. And so our createdness, we need connection. We need people. And you know what's the main reason why we don't build connections? Our work, our busyness, our toil, the pursuits of things that in the end are not going to really matter. There's an old Swedish motto, and it says this, Shared joy is double joy, but shared sorrow is half a sorrow. Isn't that true? When we can share not only the good things, but the bad things as well, companions, what? Help us in through life. Well, there's one more thing that Solomon says that tells us it's better in this life on planet Earth. He says it's better to what? It's better to be poor and wise than rich and foolish. Look what he says in verse 13. Better, here he goes, a third better, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun. Along with that, youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after the wind. And so what Solomon says is, there was this old king who was foolish. Who do you think he was talking about? Himself. Solomon, when he became king, God says, you can ask for anything you want. And what does Solomon say? I would like wisdom in how to uh, mete out justice and do things. And God says, because you asked for wisdom, you didn't ask for wealth and riches, I'm going to give you those things as well. But I want you to be careful, Solomon, because if you acquire many wives and you acquire lots of stuff, you acquire all these things, when you acquire all of that, they're gonna, it's going to lead your heart astray. And the Bible says that's exactly what happened. First Kings 11, chapter 2 says, uh, For surely, he says, they will turn your heart after other gods. And Solomon clung to these, these many wives in love. Solomon said, I don't care. I like having 700 combines, and I'm going to hold on to them. And they're going to lead my heart astray. 
And that's exactly what happened. And so in 1 Kings chapter 11, the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I command you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I'll give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will give to one tribe to your son for the sake of David. The whole kingdom ended up being a mess because Solomon forgot his wisdom. He forgot what the Lord had told in him as he acquired, as he became successful, as he achieved fame. Ironically, how did he achieve those things? Because of his wisdom. And then what happened at the end of his life? He forgot his wisdom. He forgot all the stuff. Be careful what you wish for. You may just get it. Be careful what you want. You may just get it. And when we get it, the thing we thought we wanted, it leads our heart astray. Solomon said in chapter 2, he pursued wisdom, but it came up empty. Why does it come up? It's hard to maintain. It's hard to be wise. I don't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you made a dumb decision this week? Right? We all have. Why? And we thought, and, and part of us is, I thought I was smarter than that. I heard a guy one time that had fixed a sink in his basement, moved the washing machine out, and forgot to put the discharge hose into the drain. His wife did laundry, and the water went all over the floor. You might have heard of that guy, too. (laughs) Wisdom, right? We kind of forget. We all do those things. All of us is the same. We all, all of us, it's just so hard to maintain. And so Solomon says, there's this rag to riches story. This poor guy became the king. What happened? He became successful. In the Old Testament, we see what? Joseph did the same thing, right? He went from the dungeon and he oversaw all of Egypt. We see this happening. And Solomon says, what happens is this guy went from the poor, he became the king. And this isolation of this older man, then the kingdom went to another younger man. And this young man was successful for a while. But look what the Bible says. He says, yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Fame is so fleeting. He says, the young guy comes along. It's this youth and he attracted people and those who were before him and those who came after didn't even know about him. We all want to be famous. And what do famous people complain about all the time? They are never left alone. They're, they hate the paparazzi, right? Well, wait a minute. You wanted to be famous. You wanted everybody to know you. And now that everybody knows you, you don't want anybody to know you. We are so fickle because we want what we think we need and when we get it and it's not what we need at all. Those who come after are not interested in this young guy's success. Isolation is part of the painfulness of the human experience. And so this new generation thought they had something better And they just repeated the problems of the old generation. That's all that life is. Life is the older generation goes and this young generation comes and thinks they know better. And by the time they get older, they're like, we didn't know any better either. And so we did the same dumb things. But it's all the same, Solomon says. It's all this cycle. We we, We all think we know better. And this second guy is just a long line of kings that everybody forgot. And we say, well, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be the one everybody remembers. And Solomon's like, no, you're not. You're going to be dead, and people are going to forget about you. So the new generation comes along, and we have this thing called social media now. We put social with media. And it's really anti-social media when you think about it. It leads to more depression. It leads to more loneliness. It leads to bullying. It leads to all kinds of things. And so in our wisdom, we say, oh, social media. But what it is, it's it's anti-social. And Solomon says, see, I told you. Nothing new under the sun. 
You thought you had it figured out. But what you're pursuing is not the thing that's going to fill you up. Listen, the life worth living is not marked by a wealth of riches, but by the wealth of relationships. The very thing we often forfeit. Always at the office. The office is always at home. And I've lost the home. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. In the 60s and 70s, Talk about generations that come and generations that go. If you lived through the 60s and 70s, you know it was a time of upheaval. There were factions and turmoils. There was a war in Southeast Asia. Government leaders were confused. Youth were rebellious. Civil rights were being violated. And a guy steps into the scene, Paul Simon. Anybody remember Paul Simon? He wrote a song that when everything fails and falls, when there's nothing but trouble all around, there's one thing that will get you through. And guess what it is? A friend. Here's what he said. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side. Oh, when times get rough and friends just can't be found, when you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part when darkness comes and pain is all around. What's the chorus? Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. He didn't say, I'll give you a book to read. He didn't say, I'm going to tell you what to do. He didn't say, I'll give you a job. No, what did he say? I'll lay me down. I'll comfort you. I'll be your bridge. And that's what Solomon's saying. Solomon's saying is, the things of life that strengthen us are the people in our lives. Those companions that we go with. And yet, the world would say, You need to pursue your dreams. You need to pursue success. You need to pursue fame. And every generation says the same thing. And every generation at the end says, oh, you know what? That didn't really do anything for me. And the next generation comes along and says, what? I want to be wealthy and I want to be famous and I want to be successful. And they get all of that and they find out, you know what? That really didn't do anything for me. And the next generation comes along. And what happens is just this endless cycle. God's created us for so much more. Remember, happiness is doing the will of God and acting in accordance with what he wants us to do. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's It's not quantity, it's quality. Many people have many acquaintances, but not many people have these kind of companions that Solomon is talking about. How do we know? Jesus says this in John chapter 15. You need to hear this. Greater love has no one than this. Someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. When we obey Jesus, we are his friend. And guess what? He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He didn't just build a bridge over troubled water. Through the cross, he built a bridge over our sin. That insurmountable gulf between us 
and God. His cross is the bridge that gets us across to God. And now we have this friend who sticks closer than a brother. But Solomon will caution us, and the New Testament cautions us as well. It doesn't mean we only need Jesus. We are built for community. You can't have Jesus without the church. They go together. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's always a tanto, and the tanto is the body of Christ. We say, well, it's just me and Jesus. That's great. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But we need friends with skin on. We need a friend who can physically hug us when we are down. We need a friend who physically can lift us up when we fall into a ditch. We need a friend who is there when we are feeling vulnerable. And Solomon says a life of work that's devoid of relationships is futile. It's a chasing after the wind. All work and no companion, Solomon would say, is a chasing after the wind. Now, I know, I know, we're wrestling with this. We're like, yeah, but, 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 but. I'm on the fast track to getting a promotion. But, 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 I need to have six jobs. But, 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 I need to do this. That's okay. Solomon says, I, you can find out for yourself when you get to the end if it was worth it or not. And he said, I'm telling you, it's not going to be worth it. It just isn't going to be worth it. Because you're going to be lonely with your big fat 401k, but your 401k isn't going to rock you to sleep at night. You're going to, you're, in fact, you're going to leave it to somebody who's going to squander it in ways that you never would have. We, we say, yeah, but, but, but see, what we do is we, we struggle with the wisdom of God's word because we think we know better. But God, you don't understand my circumstances. I, I, look what I'm doing. And all these things are happening. And, uh, and God's like, who, what kind of idiot do you think I am? I know your circumstances. There was a guy a lot smarter than you that lived a thousand, couple thousand years ago. His name was Solomon. And if he can't do it, neither can you. It just takes a big dose of humility. It takes a big dose of swallowing our pride. It takes a big dose of, big dose of swallowing our ego. Be careful what you wish for. You might get it. And it's going to turn out empty if it's devoid of the relationships in life that matter. Jesus is the friend what, that sticks closer than a brother. But we also need friends of Jesus to be our friends. We need companions of Jesus to be our companions as well. And Solomon understood that. And so he says, yes, you can live your life and pursue all of those things. Have at it. You can be successful. You can have all the cars in the driveway, the big house on the hill, the penthouse at the top of the skyscraper, but you're going to be lonely. And you're not going to be fulfilled. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be content with what you, what you have. Don't let envy and don't let greed be the motivator in your life. I, it's, listen, it's better to have companions in life than to give your life away to your job. Your job does not love you like your family does. It just doesn't. Your job is using you. You are a product or in production to get something, and once you're gone, somebody else is going to be doing that job. They're not going to make a shrine around your desk and say, man, we, there's just no way we're going to replace this person. Yes, you are. 
How do we know? Because you replace somebody else. It just happens. So it's better to be, what do you say? It's better to have companions and be, and he said, it's better to be poor and wise than rich and foolish. Oh man. What a rich, foolish person would not pay for some wisdom. And wisdom scripturally is what? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Do you know what the end of wisdom is? Not fearing the Lord is the end of wisdom. That's what happened to Solomon. He forgot to fear the Lord at the end of his life. The fear of the Lord, he writes in Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. But he got success. He got fame. He got all the stuff he wanted. And he lost the fear of the Lord. I think God in his great way has designed life like that. We can only put so much into our lives. It's going to be success, fame, and wealth. And all the striving that goes with that. Or it's going to be relationships with the Lord and other people. And you know what Solomon says? He says, Just, you find that happy medium. It's good to be productive. It's good to be successful. But I want you to be content. I don't want you to be driven by greed and envy. It's good to do well at your job. But don't forget people. Because people are what matters. It's people that are going to help you in life. And money isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Wisdom, wisdom helps you deal with life. Do you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Have some companions in your life who can pick you up and help you along? Listen, it's never too late. It's never too late. Because we are all people who are looking for the same thing. And so maybe your prayer today is like, is Lord... I just, I just need to find some of those companions. Those people who can pick me up and provide encouragement, support, and protection. I don't have anybody like that. So you're, the direction of your prayer needs to be, Lord, I need somebody like that. In fact, don't just pray for one, pray for two. Because <laughs> a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Lord, I need two companions in my life who will do what Solomon says. For some of us, we need to find the contentment Paul says the secret of contentment is we can do it through Jesus, not in my own strength, but I can do it through him. And so some of us say, Lord, I need to be content. I don't need a bigger this. I don't need a bigger that. I need to be satisfied with what you're giving me. And I really need to enjoy what life has to offer. It comes through contentment. Maybe for some of us, we just need to have that place where we say, Lord, I am going to trust you. I've trusted my job to bring me happiness. I've trusted my, uh, my pleasure, all those things. But Lord, it all came up empty. So your time of prayer and time of decision, would you look down inside to see where that emptiness is coming from? Because we're going to fill it with something. We're going to fill it with work. Solomon just talked about we're going to fill it with success. We're going to fill it with faith. But don't you want to fill it with something that's not fleeting? The, the, the things are here today and, and they're gone tomorrow. And Solomon wants to spare us the agony of having to figure it out all for ourselves. That's why we read the wisdom literature, Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We read that because Solomon says, I've been there. I want to save you the pain and the agony. If you think you know better, go, go have a shot at it. But I can tell you, 
the reality is it's going to turn up empty. Say, Lord, that's the kind of life I want. I want a life that has meaning and purpose, that's not a chasing after the wind, and it's when I prioritize and I get things with the wisdom that you've given. Would you please stand and we're going to pray. James says what? If any of you lack wisdom, go to the library. What does he say? If any of you lack wisdom, what? Ask for it. Pray for it. God gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom through his word. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. That friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Father, I know in our pursuit of success and fame and wealth and status and promotions and prestige, Father, we have missed out on the joys of life. And the good things in life, Solomon says, are not the work. He says there's good things other than that. The toil is a means to an end. The end is to be generous. The end is to share. The end is to invest in God's kingdom. It's never the end. So, Father, these next few moments, we pray for wisdom. We pray for contentment. We pray for companions. The stuff that makes life worth living. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.